get this started. All right, Galatians 2, 9 through 14. Uh, this is, of course, Paul writing, and he says this, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas, which is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separating himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter or Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So, in a, in a nutshell, real quickly, what's happening here is... Uh, Paul and Barnabas and Peter are all in Antioch. And Paul and Barnabas and Peter are all what? They're Jews. And, and, and before Christ came, Jews could not eat with Gentiles, right? Jews didn't have anything to do with non-Jews. You couldn't eat with them. That was considered making you unclean. But once Christ came, Peter and Barnabas and, and Paul are all in Antioch, and they're eating with the Jews. They're fellowshipping with the Jews. They're... they're I mean, I'm sorry, with the Gentiles. And then um, it says here, certain men came from uh, Jerusalem who were Judaizers or Jews that, that followed the law. They, they believed in the feast and all that. And when they came up, what happened was Peter and Barnabas got embarrassed or they got ashamed, I guess, about what they had been doing and they withdrew from the Gentiles. Everybody with me? Okay. And then Paul went, went to Peter and said, you're wrong. You can't do that. And he, he says even Barnabas got carried away with their hypocrisy. So this is, the, this is kind of the nutshell of, of what's going on. Now, with that, one of the things that I love to do is read uh, biographies of Christians, and, and particularly dead Christians. I'm not too interested in biographies of, of live Christians. I like to read biographies of dead Christians. Now, a lot of Christians, great Christians down throughout history, have been really forgotten. There's a lot of great men and women uh, of God that we know nothing about. But God has made sure that the stories of some of them has been told, and there's a, there's a reason for that. Look at these two scriptures in, in Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews 6, 7 says, Do not be sluggish, or one of the uh, translations says, Don't be lazy. But be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Hebrews 13, 7 says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Now, if you look at both those scriptures, are they talking about leaders that are alive or are they talking about leaders who are dead? Dead. How do you know in the first scripture they're talking about dead people? They inherit the promises. You don't inherit the promises until you die. So here he's saying, talk about those who have already, look at those who have already died. What about this one? How do we know they're dead? Remember. The outcome of their lives. Not remember. I can remember what Henry told me last week. It says, consider the outcome of their life. Consider how it all ended. <clears throat> right? I mean, listen, we all look up to people for a while and then they go out and fail spectacularly, don't they? 
He says, look at the outcome of their life. So in both of these cases, he's talking about dead people. He's saying, look at, look at men, have gone, men and women who have gone before you that have died and see how they carried out their whole life. Look at the whole thing. And see, what he does, he intends for their lives to give us both inspiration and guidance. He wants us to be inspired by their strength and success, but he wants to be guided by their weaknesses and their, and their failures. So I, I love biographies. Men like... Uh, Charles Spurgeon or, or Jonathan Edwards, but I don't, I don't like biographies that sugarcoat things. I, when I read biographies, I want, I want the real deal. I want to see their strengths. I also want to see their weaknesses. I want to see how they succeeded, but I also want to see how they failed. And, and the reason for that is if you ever read a sugarcoated story of someone that's a great Christian, the problem is if you don't see it, it they almost seem like super Christians, don't they? It's like, man, their faith is... That guy, I don't know who he was, but he wasn't human. And it seemed, I'll never be able to do what he can do or she can do. But when you realize they got failures and when you realize they got weaknesses just like us, it's a lot easier to think, you know, they did it. I can do that, right? So, so I think it's much more meaningful to us if we read biographies that have both that are realistic that have both the strengths of, of the person and the failures of the person. Now, with that in mind, what we're going to do today is we're going to stop and we're going to step away from the theology of Galatians and we're going to look at one of the men that's mentioned in today's passage, and that is Barnabas. And, and we want to look at his life. We want to consider the outcome. Now that we're looking back on him, we can say, well, let's look at how he succeeded, what was his strengths, and let's look at how he failed. What was his weaknesses? Now, one of the things that when you look at Barnabas's life, Barnabas was what we would call a leader maker. He wasn't necessarily a great leader, but what he did is he made other people leaders. Okay, so I'm calling him today a leader maker. Uh, uh, Patrick Johnstone in Operation World said this, There is a worldwide lack of men and women truly called of God and deeply taught in the scriptures to lead the churches. Those who accurately and effectively expound the scriptures are few, especially in areas where churches are growing rapidly. You're going to hear over the next few weeks and months, Pastor Henry is going to start talking about growth. Um, one of the things that we feel is we have a responsibility, even though we're running 500 people on Sunday morning, we feel like we have a responsibility to... to, 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 to uh, reach as many people in this county as we possibly can. That's, I mean, we, whoever said you can just sit down and say, well, we got the 500, let's just sit here. No, we've got a responsibility to meet as many as we can, so we're going to be talking about growth. But when we grow, we're going to need leaders, right? We're going to need men and women who are saturated with the Word of God, wise people who know how to apply the Word of God um, and can exert influence on other Christians. The question is, where are these leaders going to come from? Now, we may not all be leaders. In fact, the majority of us in this room probably wouldn't consider ourselves leaders. But every one of us can be a leader maker. And that's what Barnabas was. And you're going to see that today. In fact, Barnabas not only helped make one great leader in the Bible, he actually helped make two. Okay, and we'll talk about that here in, in just a little bit. Now, if I said, can you be a leader maker, you may say, well, no, no. <laughs> That's not really me. But, but you, can't, you can't rule yourself out too quickly. I was reading 
in one of Charles Spurgeon's biographies, he mentioned he went to a like a boarding school, and in this boarding school, there was this housekeeper, and her name was Mary King. And this is what he wrote in one of his biographies. He said, she liked something very... Now remember, he lived in the 1800s, so he kind of talks in 1800 talk. Um, he said, she liked something very sweet indeed, good, strong, Calvinistic doctrine, but she lived strongly as well as fed strongly. Many a time we've gone over the covenant of grace together and talked of the personal election of the saints, their union to Christ, their final perseverance, and what vital godliness meant. I do believe that I learned more from her than I should have learned from any six doctors of divinity of the sort that we have nowadays. So here's this housekeeper in this boarding school, and she would stop what she was doing, and she would meet with these boys, and she would just talk about God, talk about God, talk about God, talk about doctrine. And he says he learned more from her than he ever learned from any, any professors. And you've probably never heard of Mary King, but she was a leader maker, right? Never heard of her. Um, but as a housekeeper, she invested her time in a man, by the way, who went on to be the greatest preacher of the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon, who literally, in, in, uh, even in that time of, of when he lived, he, he basically influenced thousands upon thousands and continues to influence even today, and he's been dead 120 years. And who invested in him? Who made him who he was? A little housekeeper at a boarding school that you've never heard of. Okay. See, in the same vein, we owe the ministry of two Christian leaders to the initiative and the advocacy of Barnabas. And we're going to see that today. And those two leaders are Paul and John Mark. Okay. So we know who Paul is. Mark wrote, what did Mark write? Gospel of Mark. Both those men would not be who they were without Barnabas. Barnabas was a leader maker, and we're going to see that. Now, again, as far as we know, Barnabas wrote none of the New Testament, but the men he nurtured, he nurtured both Paul and Mark. Paul wrote 13 letters of the New Testament, and Mark, of course, wrote one of the Gospels. Together, Paul and Mark wrote a third of the New Testament. Okay, and that's all, and again, Barnabas invested in their life. So what I want to do for the rest of this lesson is look at Barnabas and, and see what we can learn from him. We can be inspired by his strengths, but we also have to get guidance from his weaknesses. And, um, and so let's go back, start to look at Barnabas, and we'll go back a few years earlier, and we'll meet Barnabas in the book of Acts. Um, so where we're going to read from... You know, uh, Jesus is resurrected and, and he goes back to heaven on, uh, and, and, and a you know, few days, 40 days pass. There's a day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls. The church begins to grow in Jerusalem. And over, over a period of time, uh, persecution arose, right? And a lot of the disciples were scattered. Well, some of the disciples went up to about 400 miles north of Jerusalem to a city called Antioch. And they began to preach to the Gentiles. And, and a huge number of Gentiles began to believe in this church. This huge church began to grow up there in Antioch. And the news of that reached the leaders in Jerusalem. And so we're going to pick up this story in Acts 11, 22 to 24. It says this, News of this, or news of this growth of the church in Antioch, came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent who? Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a large company was added to the Lord. Now, 
The first thing we learn about Barnabas, which Luke makes sure to point out, is that he was a what? He was a good man. Now, but he also makes clear why he was a good man. Okay? He was full of the Holy Spirit. Now again, how do do those two relate to each other? Well, we know, of course, that the Holy Spirit is the root or source of any person's goodness. Right? We talk about somebody being a good man. If you ever want to talk about this, I've got a whole lesson on it. You you are not good apart from God. You can pay your taxes. You cannot cheat on your wife. You can be a good citizen. But according to God, if it's not of faith, it's sin. You're doing all these things for your own motives, for your own benefit. Apart from God, there is no such thing as a good person. Only God is good. Only real goodness comes from the Holy Spirit. Now we know that because Paul will tell us this in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, what? Goodness. Goodness. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So you don't get the Holy Spirit because you're good. You get the Holy Spirit. He comes into your life and He makes you good. And that's what happened to to Barnabas. But Luke wants us to see something else as well. He was full of the Holy Spirit and what? And faith. So Barnabas had this great faith in God. And by this faith, the Holy Spirit became powerful in his heart. And the result was a lot of practical goodness. So it's easy to say he was good. But what does that mean? How did that goodness uh, work itself out? So we want to look at six ways in which the Holy Spirit inspired goodness and worked itself out in the life of Barnabas. And again, remember, we're looking back, like Hebrews said, Let's look at Barnabas's life, and can we do what he did? Can we be leader makers? And so let's look at some of the things. Number one, the first thing we see in, in Barnabas's life that the Holy Spirit built into him was he had an empathy for outsiders. Okay, now did you notice the news of this comes? The, the news of this church growth in Antioch comes to the the leaders in Jerusalem, and they say we need to send somebody. Well, they sent who? Did you ever ask why? Why Barnabas? By the way, by that time in Jerusalem, there's probably thousands of Christians they could have sent. But they sent, they picked one man. Well, why? Why would they pick uh, Barnabas? Um, Because Barnabas by this time had earned a reputation for caring for the outsider. Okay, let me give you a couple of examples. When Paul first came to Jerusalem, nobody would have anything. Remember, he gets saved. He comes to Jerusalem. Nobody would have anything to do with him. They were scared to death of him. Why? He was a Christian killer. I mean, everybody knew who Paul was. Man, if Paul came into your town, you left. He was coming to get you if you were a Christian. So he gets saved. He comes to Jerusalem, and they say that Paul's here. He wants to come into the church. (laughs) It's like nobody would have anything to do with him. Look at Acts 9, 26-27. And when he, Paul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they didn't believe he was a disciple. But who? But Barnabas took him and brought him to the, to the apostles. Now look, nobody would believe he was a disciple. But one guy, one guy took a chance and said, I see something that nobody else sees. Now you're going to see this. Barnabas is an, a very interesting guy. And he had some very interesting characteristics. Here's Paul, and is there anyone going to take a risk for Paul? Is there anyone going to wrap their arms around him and say, 
I accept you as a, as a Christian brother? Is there anyone that can look at him and see the makings of a great Christian leader? The fact is, one man stuck his neck out for Paul when nobody else would. And that man was Barnabas. And by the way, what's the result? The church accepted him, and his ministry flourished in Jerusalem and in Antioch, and all the disciples that were now were afraid of him and now respect him and look at him as a leader because of one man had the courage to give him a chance. That was Barnabas. By the way, in fact, his Barnabas's reputation was so strong as an encourager that they renamed him. His original name was Joseph. <coughs> Look at Acts 4.36. It says, Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means what? Son of encouragement. So his original name was Joseph, but he was such an encourager. He would go to people that the other people said, man, there ain't nothing good in that person. Barnabas would go to that person and he became such an encourager that they, they actually changed his name and started calling him Barnabas. Because it's so... By the way, your name back then reflected what? It reflected who you were. He was such a, an encourager that they actually said, man, we've we got to change your name. We don't know who you were before Christ, but after Christ, you've got a gift. And we're going to change it. And they, they began to call him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So we see his goodness reflected in this remarkable gift for encouraging others, especially underdogs or outsiders. That's why he was chosen to go to Antioch. By the way, why would faith, why would the Holy Spirit through faith produce this gift or produce this kind of goodness, this ability to become an encourager of the outsider? What what is it about being a Christian that should make us encouragers of outsiders? Say that again? We want others to have what That's exactly right. I mean, don't shouldn't we feel the wonder of being accepted as an outsider? Weren't we all outsiders? And God Himself built a bridge through the cross and His Son to allow us to be accepted? I mean, we of all people should know what it means to be accepted when we were outsiders. So this gift was somehow very strong in Barnabas's life, much stronger than in other people. Um, so of all the apostles or the elders or, or, or disciples who could have gone to Antioch, they sent him because he was an encourager. <clears throat> the second thing we see about Barnabas is his ability to submit to God's call. Um, look at 11, 22 to 24 again. It says, News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas, and he... Came. It's pretty simple. The church had a need. They asked Barnabas to go and fill the need, and he did what? He went. He went. In fact, by the way, if you read the Bible, there's no evidence he ever went back to Jerusalem. You never see him going back to Jerusalem to live. He left his life. He left his 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 anything he had there. He went because the church asked him to to go. And by the way, this wasn't a one-time occurrence. Acts 13 says this, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Again, the Holy Spirit says, send Barnabas and Paul. They get the call and they do what? They go. The church asked them to go. The Holy Spirit asked them to go. They didn't argue. They didn't fight it. They just went. 
So there was always this submission uh, to the call of God. He had this extraordinary ability to, to yield to God in his life. And if there was a, a need, by the way, he was willing to take his cue, not only from the Holy Spirit, but from the church. <coughs> so the church would say, hey, we've got a need in this class over here. Would you feel it? We've got a need for somebody to do this. Would you do it? Barnabas said, sure. I'm ready. I'm willing. Okay? By the way, again, why would faith produce this kind of goodness? Because faith always wants to be in the will of God. Right? True faith knows there's one place where you'll only be content. There's one place where you'll be satisfied, and that's in the will of God. So whatever God wants, faith says, that's what I want to to do. Number three, somehow Barnabas always had a vision of God's grace in an imperfect church. Look again at Acts 11. It says, news of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw what? The grace of God. It was part of his goodness. It was part of his faith. It was part of the Holy Spirit that worked in his life. That he had the ability to look beyond someone's imperfections and see the grace of God in their life. Now, let me tell you, we all need this. Okay, There are two types of people. There are people that look at somebody and see what's wrong with them. And they're the same person. Another person can look and see what's right with them. Most of us are what? The first one. We look at a person and we see all the flaws. We see all the bad. There was something about Barnabas. He could look at someone and he could see the good. You're going you're gonna, you're gonna to see this play out here in just a little bit. He could see the grace of God in their life. Again, not everyone can do that, especially in newer saints. You know, sometimes somebody comes in and gets saved. By the way, they got a lot of junk. They don't automatically, all the junk just fall off. They carry that with them. You know, we need people that can look beyond the junk and the baggage and see the grace of God um, in their life. That's what Barnabas could do. That's why he had such a remarkable gift uh, for um, encouragement. He saw living embers of grace that he wanted to fan into a flame while others only saw the ashes of of imperfection. Now, why did his faith produce that in him? Because faith should live by grace. And that's what's faith. Our faith, real faith is all about grace, isn't it? We know we're here and we're saved because of one reason and one reason only, because of the grace of God. Not because of anything we do. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. He just said, I choose you. Right? I mean, that's what grace really is. Faith should have a kind of homing device. You know how the guys go out on the beach with the, with the metal detectors? That's what faith ought to be like. We ought to be walking around with a, with a detector that when it sees grace in someone's life, it goes off. Saying God's working in their life. That's, that's, Barnabas had the ability to do that. He had the ability to see the grace of God in the imperfect lives of, of Gentile saints because he, his, his faith was in tune to the frequency of grace. If you're going to be a leader maker, okay, which by the way, we should all be leader makers, um, we've got to be ready to see grace. See, Barnabas was an encourager. He didn't look for the negative. He looked for the positive. Yes, he understood people are not perfect. Yes, he understood people have flaws. But he chose to focus on the good instead of the bad. And that's why he's such a a leader maker or a son of encouragement as the apostles called him. Leader makers have their sensors adjusted and alert for embers of grace that they can fan 
while other kind of people have their buckets of criticism ready to pour on the ashes of imperfection. I mean, we all have to ask, which one of those are we? Are we looking for those little embers of grace that we can, we can go and fan and into this flame, or are we just saying, man, there ain't nothing there, and we just pour criticism on it? Man, I, I don't want to be, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I want to be the person, I want to be like Barnabas. Um, and, 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 and with leader makers, we have to have our eyes ready to see the potential of grace. I want to show you this in Acts 11. Watch what it says. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was what? He was glad. You see, faith not only sees grace, it delights in it. What made him happy? What, what, what made him glad seeing grace in other people's lives? He was always looking for it, right? So we need to be, God help us to be people uh, like, like that. Number four, one of the things that allowed him to be the encourager, to be the ability, have the ability to submit to God's call, to be the leader maker, is he was free from materialism. Okay, I'll show you Acts 11, 25-30. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world, which took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. They collect a bunch of money, and they have to give it to somebody. Who do they give it to? They give it to Barnabas and Paul. And say, now, why would you give it to those two men? They trusted them. They knew if we give this money to them, they're going to do everything in their, in their power to get it to Jerusalem safely into the hands. Now, what made Barnabas trustworthy? Okay? He had a reputation, evidently, for being trustworthy with other people's money. But the reason he had that reputation, because he lived it out in his own life. Look at Acts 4. It said this, Thus Joseph, who was surnamed by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field which belonged to him, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. So here's Barnabas. He's got this field. And he goes and he sells it. And he says, man, this, this, I'm not, what can I do with this? I, I'm, I'm investing in heaven. I'm not, in, I'm not worried about this. He sells the field. He takes the money. And he goes and he gives it to the church. And he says, here, y'all spend it. Do what you want. Listen, the guy was free from materialism. He was willing to sell his land for the gospel. By the way, he was willing to leave his land. Did he not? Did he not leave Jerusalem, leave Cyprus, and go into places that he had never been before? materialism had no hold on him. And he had proven this by the way he lived his life. So the church said, man, who else should we? You know Barnabas don't care about money, right? So he was trustworthy in that way. Again, why, why, did, why was he this way? How did faith and the Holy Spirit work this out? Because again, he had such faith, he knew in his life he was laying up treasures in heaven, not on this earth. Money had absolutely no hold on him. And he didn't just say it with his mouth, he lived it with his life, right? By the way, 20 years later, 20 years go by, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes his letter and he says this, Do we not have the right to eat and drink? 
Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So 20 years later, there's some of the other apostles are traveling and they take their wives with them. Some of the other apostles are not working. They're, they're actually being supported by the church. But here's Barnabas and Paul 20 years later. And they still would go into a town and instead of taking money from the church, they'd go find a job. 20 years go by. I mean, they, they would not let anybody think we're doing this for money. And so they would go into a town and they'd find a job and they'd work for their own money. I mean, that was that important to them. So again, they wanted to make it perfectly clear to the church that they did not minister for money, they ministered for people. And so they would go out of their way not to take money for themselves. 20 years. That's just who they were. So why do you, you see why they were trustworthy? Because they showed with their life that they were not materialistic. They didn't care about it. In fact, they would go out of their way to make sure that people understood that. Number five, uh, a characteristic of, of Barnabas as a leader maker. He was humble and self-effacing. Biblical leader makers have this beautiful gift of pushing others forward while they step into the background. Okay? They're not addicted to the praise of men. They don't care about what people say. Now, how do we know Barnabas? Let's go back to Acts 11. Remember, they, they, the church hears about this, right? That there's, this, there's a growing number of believers. They send Barnabas. Barnabas goes up there, and let's see what happened. It says, News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas, and a large company was added to the Lord. So Barnabas goes into this. He's glad. He begins to preach to them and exhort them to stay true to God. And, the, and it just says, it just, the, the, the growth was just phenomenal. It says a large company was added to the Lord. Now think about this. It would be very easy for Barnabas to say, well, look at here. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm set now. I got this big church. Everybody's coming. And, and boy, this is I, I can just settle in here and, and become a bishop or whatever they did back then. Um, I mean, that would be perfectly natural, right? I mean, who wouldn't think that kind of thing? But I want you to watch in the next verse what he did. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Instead of trying to exalt himself, he leaves town and goes and finds a man who he knows is a much better speaker and a much better leader than himself. And he brings him back. And from that time forward, in fact, early in the New Testament, it's always Barnabas and Paul. As you move through the New Testament, it becomes Paul and Barnabas. See, early on, Barnabas was the guy. But he actually takes Paul and he moves Paul in front of him because he knows Paul's a more dynamic leader. He knows Paul's a better speaker. He knows Paul's smarter. He knows Paul's got these gifts. And he pushes him forward and he steps back. Okay, I mean, it's an amazing thing, right? So, and again, if you read through the New Testament, from that point on, Barnabas fades more and more into the background and Paul becomes more and more prominent. But that's who leader makers are. They're humble. They're self-effacing. They, they look for people with better gifts than their own and push them forward. By the way, that investment in Saul's life, Barnabas kind of 
secures forever a secondary status. When we think of the major leaders of the church, we think of James and Peter and Paul. You don't think about Barnabas, do you? See, he secured a kind of second-hand status, but we ought, to, we ought to love him for it because he pushed Paul forward. He stood up for Paul when nobody else would, and he stepped back. And, and now he's kind of, we don't think of him as that primary guy, but God knows he did exactly what God gifted him to do. He, he stood in the gap where he was supposed to stand in the, in the gap. Now, let's turn to number six. And here we're going to see a strength and we're going to see a weakness. Did you know that sometimes your strengths can make you weak? Anybody know that? Sometimes what you think you're so strong in can actually end up biting you if you're not careful. You're going to see this. We already saw Barnabas... Remember early on when Paul goes to Jerusalem and nobody else would have anything to do with him? Who stood up for him? Barnabas did. And so God used Barnabas, by the way, to give us the greatest missionary and the greatest theologian the world has ever seen, and that is the Apostle Paul. But there's another time when Barnabas stood up for a young leader in the church. And before we, give you, before we read the passage, I want to give you a little bit of, of, of background. So... Paul and Barnabas are down in Jerusalem at some point in their friendship and in their ministry. They've gone to Jerusalem. And when they leave Jerusalem in Acts 12, they go back to Antioch and they decide to take a young man with them. And this young man's name was John Mark. Now, Mark's, you can find Mark in, in the book of Acts. His mother's name was Mary. Uh, she had a house that they evidently the church met in. Um, you, you remember when... Um, uh, Peter was put in jail and they were all praying and the, the angel let him out of jail and he went to the house and knocked on the door and they answered and they said, oh, it's a ghost, right? That was Mary's house. That was John Mark's mom's house that he went to. So he was very, he grew up in that. He was very used to seeing, uh, being around the apostles, being around the disciples, being around the, the church. So he had some experience with all of this. So evidently he was a young leader with some potential that both Barnabas and Paul saw. So when they head back to Antioch, they take John Mark with them. Now, um, later on, the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and a kind of appoints Barnabas and Paul to go out on their first missionary journey. You'll find that in Acts 13. They decide to take John Mark with them. Okay, that's in Acts 13. But after they leave, something happened, and evidently it was pretty serious. Luke, in the book of Acts, just mentions it in one sentence, and he says this. Now Paul and his company, this is Acts 13, 13. Now Paul and his company set sail from Paphos and came to Persia in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now again, I don't know how old he was. Maybe he got homesick. Maybe he got scared. Luke, Luke doesn't tell us what his reasoning was. He just said he left them. Okay, everybody, and we've all kind of heard this story before. Now, two or three years go by. The first missionary journey of Barnabas and Paul is over, and they're back in Antioch, and they're teaching and preaching, and Paul becomes convinced that it's time to go back out, that they need to go back to the churches and visit them again. And we pick up this story in Acts 15, 36 through 41. And it says, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Come, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, here we go. Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia 
and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp contention, so that they separated from each other. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Now, this is really interesting. By the way, why would, would you think Barnabas wanted to take John Mark? Saw potential. Huh? Saw potential. Okay, saw potential. Give him another chance. Give him another chance. But why would Barnabas want to do that? That's what he does. That's what he does. That's who he is. He's an encourager. He looks at John Mark. He doesn't see the failure, does he? What does he see? He sees the grace. He sees the potential. Let's give him another chance. Paul? No. <laughs> Not so much. Right? And, and he says, man, look, the guy abandoned us the first time we were out, right? Paul's not a son of encouragement. Paul's all about the work, the big picture. We need somebody that we can count on. And it says the disagreement was so strong, so sharp between them, that they, for the first time, probably been together 15 years by this point, they separated. And and and, and uh, says Barnabas took Mark and sailed with him. And it says, uh, Paul chose Silas. By the way, which one do you think the church sided with? Paul, why would you think that? It says there, Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. It looks like the, the church sided with, uh, with Paul. It doesn't say they, 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 uh, Barnabas was commended, does it? It says Paul was. Now, Wow. Here we go, two great men of God, and they disagree, and it's so sharp they separate. Okay. Um, by the way, this is what I love about the Bible. It don't sugarcoat anything. I, I love that about it. You want, real, you want reality? Read the Bible. It'll tell you the failures of a person. It'll tell you their successes. It'll tell you their strength, and it'll tell you their weakness. It never sugarcoats anything. Okay. Um, so here again is a prime example of, of Barnabas's patience with the failure of others. His nickname is the son of encouragement, right? He, he focuses on John Mark, the person. He sees the potential in Mark, the grace in Mark. Paul, his focus isn't on Mark. His focus is the work. Remember what it said? He, he didn't want to take the one that didn't go with them to the work. And the disagreement is so deep that it cannot be resolved. And these two men, whose friendship goes back at least 15 years, part company. Now, neither one of them will yield. You know? I mean, they're both, they're, they're adamant about this, so adamant that they, that they split company. Now, who's right? Who's wrong? Don't, can't, we can't really say, can we? More importantly, I think this is the question we should ask. What can we learn from that incident? What, what can we learn from that incident? Now, we're going to come back to that in just a moment. A moment, but I want to bring one more uh, event into Barnabas's life before we talk about that incident. Uh, I want to come back to one more event, and that is an event that's recorded in today's passage. Let's go back and read today's passage. And with all we know about Barnabas, now let's read this one. It says, "But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from J James, other Jews, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came," he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted like hypocrites along with him, 
so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Okay? Now, here we go. Our, he, our hero is not perfect, is he? We find out that in this case he was a hypocrite. Paul goes on to say, When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force or compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Okay, now what we want to focus on here is Barnabas. And he made a, he made a mistake. Now, notice what was at stake here and why Paul got in their face. What was at stake, according to Paul, was the truth of the gospel. Remember, the gospel says what? You are saved by grace and grace alone. Right? It's got nothing to do with circumcision. It's got nothing to do with what you eat or don't eat or what day you go to church or, or, or whether you smoke or don't smoke or whether you do this or don't do that. It's got nothing to do with any of that. It's, you are saved by grace and by grace alone. And what was happening here is these men were saying that with their mouth, but they were acting a different way, right? And, and according to Paul, he says, you're compromising the truth of the gospel in the way that you, you act. In fact, their actions so contradicted the truth of the gospel that according to Paul, it couldn't be tolerated. Because Paul knows that when truth goes, the gospel goes, and when the gospel goes the souls of men perish. And that was one of Paul's great strengths, by the way. He always saw the big picture. Right? You know, Barnabas was what? He was all about that person. But Paul's strength was he saw the big picture. Right? And, and we'll see this here in, in just a, a minute. So Peter and Barnabas are wrong. Their actions are out of step with the truth of the gospel. Now let's focus on Barnabas for just a second. Why do you think he would be um, swept away. Now here, again, he, here's a weakness of a great man. Barnabas was a great man. He had a lot of great characteristics, did a lot of great things. But he also had a weakness. Okay? And, and he's, not, he's not perfect. He is infallible. But why do you think he would get swept up in that error? What was it about Barnabas that you, that you would think that he would get swept up in that hypocrisy? Somebody tell me. What, what was it about him that you... Why would he get caught up in that? Huh? Pretty sure Peter is Okay, so he think he got caught up with Peter. Okay, that could be one thing. Somebody else? What what is it about let's go back to what I'm looking for. He's a what kind of person is he? He's an encourager. Encouragers are all about people. Remember I just said Paul was able to step Paul really could care less what men think. Didn't he just say that? Go back and look at uh where did he say that? Um, do, 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 do. Oh yeah, look at Galatians 1, 9 and 10. Paul says, As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you other than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul was not a people pleaser. He really could care less what you think. It was all about the truth. He, he didn't... So he saw the big picture. Everybody with me? But Barnabas was what? He was a people person. He, he was all about people, what they think, what they feel. So don't you see how that would make him maybe more susceptible to hypocrisy than, than Paul? 
Paul could care less what people. He, he didn't really, you know, Paul walked into a room, you know, I'm sure Barnabas walked into a room, he's looking for somebody I can encourage. Paul walked in a room, let's preach the gospel, you know. <laughs> you see the difference? So I think that's probably what made Barnabas more uh, susceptible to that. Now, for, I wanna, there are two, those are two incidents in the life of Barnabas. The first was John Mark, right, where him and Paul separated. And you've got this incident here of hypocrisy. So I want to look at four lessons that we can learn from, from those two incidents in the life of Barnabas. Number one, okay, even great saints mess up, okay? Even great men and women of God make mistakes. They still sin. They still go astray. Listen, I don't want to pick just on Barnabas. Even Paul confessed time and time again that I haven't arrived at perfection. Did he not? I'm still a sinner. I'm trying to get there, but I still mess up. One time he said, oh, wretched man that I am. Why do I keep doing the things that I do? Right? I don't want to do them. He said that the, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is, is weak. So, so the fact is, even great saints like Barnabas and Paul, and, and again, biographies are more valuable when they show us both of them, both the weaknesses and the strengths of, of a particular individual. As I mentioned earlier, that's one of the reasons I love the Bible so much. It never sugarcoats anything or anyone. You go back from Noah to Moses to David to Peter to Barnabas, the Bible will always show you both of them. Talk about David. You talk about David after man's own heart, he committed adultery and murder. And the Bible doesn't sugarcoat it. The Bible doesn't hide it. It says this is the way it was. Same thing with Peter. Same thing with these guys. But again, there's a reason for this because God intends that we not only be inspired by their strength, but he wants us to be guided by their mistakes. So he showed, the Bible shows us all of that. Number two, the reality of judgment calls. Okay? Life, remember, let's go back to that incident with, with uh, Paul and Barnabas, right? And they disagree. And they go their separate ways. Did you know that life, that, by the way, that was a judgment call that they had to make. Let's take John Mark. Barnabas says, man, I, I want to take him. Paul says, man, there ain't no way he's going with me. They had a judgment call. There was no scripture they could go to and open the Bible and it said, hey, if a missionary forsakes the work, give him 18 months to repent, then you can take him back. Is there a scripture that says that? No. In fact, the scripture says when one falls, restore him with love. But what does that mean? You ever thought about that? If we had somebody in this church fall into sin, we are to restore them. Does that mean we completely... If we have somebody that's a leader in this church that's up on stage and they fall into adultery and they come to us and say, hey, I've committed adultery, I'm sorry. Hey, don't worry about it. Just go on back up on stage. Is that what we're supposed to do? Aren't we supposed to restore them with love? But what does that mean? By the way, I could ask that question of everybody in this room and get 25 different answers. Well, you need to at least give them three months. Well, no, six months. No, it needs to be two years. No, it's a lifetime ban. No, once I put them back up. See, the part is a, that scripture, it's a judgment call. By the way, we have those situations happen, and your church board makes those judgment calls. And sometimes we sit in a room and disagree, which is, that's going to happen, is it not? Ron Scooter, no, they know what I'm talking about. Um, see, the fact is life is full of judgment calls. 
And sometimes in those judgment calls, what you think and what I think, we're going we're gonna to disagree, e- even as men and women of God. What we're, what we're, think about that situation. What were Barnabas and Paul supposed to do? Barnabas seemed to focus on the need and potential of Mark. Paul was focusing on demands of the, of the larger cause of the gospel, the integrity of the mission. By the way, I don't think you should see that as bad necessarily. What's bad is if they were bitter with one another, if there was rancor between them, that's bad. Just because Christians disagree is not necessarily a bad thing. Okay? Um, the point is this. Most of our life and ministry is going to be made up of those kind of decisions, those judgment calls. How do we apply biblical principles that's not dealt with explicitly in the Bible? And when we do that, by the way, there's going to be time after time where we're not going to have complete agreement. It's never going to happen. Right now, we see through a glass darkly. Until, that, that, until that, those shadows are removed and we see Jesus Christ, then we'll, we'll see clearly. Until then, we have to make judgment calls. Um, and so it doesn't mean just because we disagree, it's always a bad thing. Okay? So, and by the way, we always stand right here. God is sovereign. He can even use our disagreements and he'll still work his plan out. I don't worry too much about, uh, about that. He kind of knows what he's doing. By the way, we see that very clearly in the life of Barnabas and Paul. Did it all work out? Absolutely. In 1 Corinthians 9, 6, uh, several years later, uh, sometimes after separating from Barnabas, Paul refers to Barnabas as a fellow worker. I mean, they, there was no rancor. There was no bitterness uh, amongst them. They, they, were, they remained good friends. Um, later in 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and says to him, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful in serving me. So what happened is, 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 is Barnabas took John Mark, and John Mark proved himself. And later on, Paul says, hey, bring John Mark. He's useful. So it all worked out. God's plan worked out. And there was no rancor. There was no bitterness. You can see here there was no unforgiveness in Paul because of John Mark had left at one time. So all disagreement is not necessarily a bad, um, a bad thing. Was it Paul's... By the way, we could ask, was it Paul's tough rebuke or Barnabas's tender patience that saved Mark? Maybe it was both. Maybe it was both, right? Um, see, the point is, is that, you know, you know, here's Mark, and he's got this one guy that's saying, man, it's okay. You know, let me encourage you. But on the other hand, he knows, man, I messed up, and Paul don't want to have anything to do with me. Maybe it was both of those. See, the point is, the Lord brought victory out of contention. And Mark not only became useful to Paul, um, but he also served as Peter's interpreter and wrote our second gospel. So he became... A great man of God. Number three, I'm going to go through this real quick. The weakness of Barnabas. If you're an encourager like Mark, sometimes you're vulnerable for the sake of relationships. In other words, your inclination to stand up for people can sometimes be your downfall. you got to be very careful. Does that make sense? Sometimes you can be such an encourager that you don't see there's some danger in where you're going. Right. That that's. By the way, sometimes people don't necessarily need encouraging. Sometimes they need discipline. Sometimes they need admonishing. Right. It's like our, it's it's like raising a child. Sometimes that child needs encouraging. Sometimes they need their tails whipped. Right. 
you got to figure out as a parent which is the time. You, you can't, so be careful if you're an encourager that you don't suit, uh, that doesn't um, become a weakness because I think that's what happened to Paul when it came to those Jews coming down. He was such a people person that he didn't see the big picture. He didn't see the truth of the gospel could be at stake. He just saw, he just saw the relationships um, with people. By the way, you know, Paul wasn't like that. You wouldn't call Paul a son of encouragement. Um, but again, that's okay, alright? So we'll see that in just a minute. So every, be aware that every strength is vulnerable to its corresponding weakness. Same thing with Paul. Paul was such a, a, a goal-oriented person. It was so much about the mission that sometimes he made a mistake with people. By the way, his, his rejection of John Mark could very well have been a mistake. We don't know, do we? But the point is, each one of us need to understand that our strength can be vulnerable to its corresponding weakness. Last one, the need of diversity of strengths. Diversity, diverse people in the body of Christ need each other's strength. Isn't it a beautiful, encouraging thing that at the beginning of Paul's Christian life, when no one would take a risk on his behalf, Barnabas <laughs> stepped up and was there for him. Later on, when Barnabas was falling away from the truth, who stepped in to get in his face? Paul. You see, when Paul needed an encourager, Barnabas was there. When, when, when Barnabas needed somebody to get in his face, Paul was there. See, they needed each other's different strengths. God has chosen in River of Life and in, and in the world at large to build a community of diverse people. His aim is not that all of us be a Barnabas or that all of us be a Paul, right? His aim is that we help each other fight the fight of faith and endure to the end and be safe. When one of us is weak, he needs somebody else to step in and be strong. When one of our, one of our strengths makes us vulnerable, we need somebody else in the church to step up and say, hey man, I noticed something. You need to be, you need to be aware of that. His aim is not that we envy one another or resent one another, but rejoice in the wisdom of the Spirit who creates and uses and molds us according to His choosing. Okay? Any comments or questions before we close?